You're listening to Asbury University's Chapel Podcast, recorded live from our campus in Wilmore, Kentucky. Asbury's Chapel Service hosts speakers from around the world to inspire academic excellence and spiritual vitality. We hope you enjoy today's message. Amen. Good morning, Asbury University. So glad to be with you guys. Jesus, thank you. We are overwhelmed with gratitude for your grace. And that old song just somehow has a way of staying fresh in our hearts. Thank you for your grace that has rescued us. Thank you for your grace that was drawing us to you before we ever recognized our need for you. Thank you for the grace that has been drawing us and that brought us into a reconciled relationship with you. Thank you for your death on the cross that brings us forgiveness. Thank you for your resurrection from the grave that brings us victory over sin, over death. That resurrection power that breaks the chains of canceled sin and that sets the prisoner free. Thank you for your amazing grace. We're blown away by it. It feels fresh in us today. Give us a sense of gratitude for that. In your name we pray, amen. Amen, it's so good to be back uh, with you guys. I was here about two and a half years ago and uh, good to be back with my friend Greg again to hang out. And uh, I wanna know, who was that person that started cheering when Greg said North Carolina? Where are you? Can you stand up, sir? (laughs) Fantastic. What's your name? John. John. Okay. My friends, this is is what sanctification looks like. (laughs) Thank you, John. I will buy you lunch today. At the cafeteria. (laughs) On Greg's card. Okay. Awesome. Well, like Greg said, I'm a pastor of a church in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Hold the applause, John. And um, and, uh, we meet in the downtown section of Chapel Hill, Franklin Street, which runs right through the heart of where the town of Chapel Hill and the University of North Carolina collide with each other. And we meet in this old movie theater there called the Varsity Theater. And uh, it's a beautiful, beautiful group of people, this eclectic mix of people. Uh, About 30 to 40% of our congregation are made up of students from the University of North Carolina. And then a lot of young families, professionals, artists, academics, all of that. And then about 10 to 15% of our congregation is made up of men and women who are experiencing homelessness. And one of the things that we say repeatedly in our church is that we do not have a college ministry and we do not have a homeless ministry. We have a church family where every person can find a place to belong and to serve and to lead. And it's a beautiful group of people and I'm so honored uh, to be a part of that. I'm gonna be later on in the week sharing some things that Jesus has taught us through that journey, but I just wanted to uh, always want to tell their story um, whenever I get an opportunity to do that. Um, also, what's, what's the most important thing uh, besides being a follower of Jesus for me is that I'm a husband to Sarah and a dad to twin sons, Luke and Sam. 
And uh, Luke and Sam are eight years old, and Luke is about to start chess club next week. And Sam is a dual sports star in his dad's eyes between baseball and basketball. So whoever I need to talk to about uh, scholarships while I'm here, okay, then please connect me to the right person on that. Okay, awesome. Wait, do y'all do, do, y'all do sports scholarships here? You do? Okay, awesome, good. Okay. So everybody was just laughing at the thought of my kids playing sports here. Okay, I'm offended. That's all right. Awesome. Okay, great. Um, fantastic. Uh, so I love these guys so much, and um, I love like having conversations with them and, and just the things that flow out of these conversations. The other day I was driving them to school, and uh, we were talking, and I was talking about this friend from our church. His name is Ron. And my son Luke said, oh, like Ron Solo from Star Wars. <laughs> I'm like, What? And he's like, yeah, Ron Solo from Star Wars. And I have failed him as a parent, okay? <laughs> so that's my confession on that. And uh, then the other night recently, I was uh, uh, putting them to bed. And it's, it's like dark in the room, trying to get them calm to go to sleep. And my other son, Sam, uh, asked me this question. And it's this question that just kind of pierced my heart. A lot of times they'll ask me questions at bedtime to try to extend, you know, bedtime and push bedtime off. But there was something about this question, and it just struck me. And he asked this question. He said, Dad, how do I grow? How do I grow? I think it's because he wants a basketball scholarship, all right? But there was something about it that just hit me and this thought of how do I Grow. And my answer in that moment to him was, son, you just rest. For right now, what you need to do is you just rest. And what you don't even realize is that there are things happening beneath the surface in you as you rest. There is growth happening that you can't see right now. And you need patience in that. And you need to wait in that. And as you wait, and as you rest, growth is actually happening. You can't see it right now, but a season is coming in your life when you will see it clearly. It just strikes me. That's the question we're going to be wrestling with this week together. How do I grow? How do I grow? And in a beautiful passage in the Gospel of John, chapter 15, Jesus gives us this answer. So for every one of our morning chapels that we're going to be together, we're going to be in John chapter 15. In our evening chapels, we're going to be in the book of Acts, walking along with where this community is already moving over this school year, what the Holy Spirit is stirring up in this community as you walk through the book of Acts together. And we want to walk in step with the Spirit with that. So in the mornings, we're going to be talking about this passage where Jesus talks about the vine and the branches and the gardener and what it looks like to grow. And then in the evenings, we'll be in the book of Acts and what that fruit actually looks like when it's lived out in the real world. What that ample and abundant and beautiful fruit looks like in the real world. So we're going to start this morning in John chapter 15. And we're going to read the first few verses together of John chapter 15, the words of Jesus that he speaks to his disciples, and he's speaking to us today as well. He says this, 
I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it may be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. We're going to be spending our time in these words of Jesus over these next few days together. A little bit of context for what's going on in this passage. First of all, this is happening on Jesus' last night with his disciples. Uh, There's this place here in the Gospel of John that John dedicates to the farewell address of Jesus as he's with them around this table and he is pouring out of his heart these last words in these last moments that he has with his disciples. And John actually dedicates chapter 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, all to this last evening that Jesus has with his disciples. And those five chapters are just drenched with the words of Jesus. If you have one of those uh, versions of the Bible that puts the, the words of Jesus in red letters, then for those five chapters, your Bible is like bleeding on the pages of those five chapters, okay? It's just the words of Jesus stacked on top of each other. It's like John, this intimate friend of Jesus, is just like draining out his memory, renting out his memory of every word that he can get, every last drop of Jesus that he can remember from that experience that the Holy Spirit is inspiring him to write down in this moment. It's beautiful. So it falls right there in the middle of these words of Jesus. This is after Jesus has washed his disciples' feet. This beautiful act of Jesus getting down his hands and feet, washing the disciples' feet. And it, and it doesn't specify that Judas wasn't a part of that. So Peter, who's going to deny him, Judas, who's going to betray him, their feet are washed as well. And Jesus says, I'm showing you the full extent of my love. This is what love looks like. There's a famous professor named Cornell West who says um, that justice is what love looks like in public. But I want to challenge you with this. Service is what love looks like in private. That's what love looks like behind the scenes. And we see Jesus doing that. This is the full extent of my love, he says. He's comforting them as he is telling them about him going away. And he's telling them the promise that the Holy Spirit is going to come and be their comforter. All of this is part of this farewell discourse. And right here in the middle of it, Jesus gives them this beautiful image right out of everyday life, this agrarian image that they would have recognized from growing up in that region. It would have been very familiar to them. It would have connected immediately. And Jesus gives them this beautiful image. I am the true vine and you are the branches. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. So part of John's brilliance in writing this gospel, he's my favorite writer with all due respect uh, to Harper Lee and to Kentucky's own Wendell Berry, all right? Any Wendell Berry fans in the house? Dr. Bounds, good to see you. Awesome. 
<laughs> Sorry, I'm just catching up with old friends here in the middle of beautiful. So John is my favorite writer, this brilliant construction of this gospel. And as part of that, he lists seven different I am statements that Jesus makes through the gospel. There are these metaphorical images that Jesus gives to us to help us understand who he is. So in these I am statements, there's this divine sense to it. Using that divine name of God himself, Jesus telling us, I am God in the flesh, and then coupling it with this metaphoric, this image that he gives to us that we can see what he means as he's telling us who he is. He says he's the bread of life. He's the light of the world. He's the door of the sheep. He's the good shepherd. He's the resurrection and the life. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And then the final one. This completion kind of image, he says, I am the true vine. I am the true vine. Now, what's important for us to understand about that is that this wouldn't have only been familiar to them because of seeing the vine and fruits all around them in everyday life. It also would have been something that, that connected to them instantly because of their memory of who they are as a people. Their own scriptural memory of how God had been in relationship with them as a people throughout their history. Because the image of a vine is something that's used repeatedly through the Old Testament. The prophets come back to this time and time again, talking about God's people being God's vine. And so that would have connected for them immediately. They would have thought of passages from the Psalms, from Ezekiel, from Hosea, from Jeremiah, and especially from the prophet Isaiah. But here's the thing about that. Even though they would have remembered that history of being called the vine over and over and over again, they also would have remembered the other side of that. And the truth is that every time this image of a vine is used in the Old Testament by one of the prophets, it actually turns into a negative image. It begins as this hopeful and promising image, but it actually turns into a negative image as the prophets reveal to them their hearts of disobedience and rebellion. And it becomes instead this image of exile instead of an image of blessing. Here is one of the most compelling uh, examples of that. Isaiah chapter five, there's this prophetic poem that Isaiah writes here. It says this, I will sing for the one I love a song about his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it up and cleared it of stones and planted it with the choicest vines. He built a watchtower in it and cut out a wine press as well. Then he looked for a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. That's the imagery that would have come to their minds when they thought of themselves as God's vine. They would have thought of all this promise, everything that God invested in them, poured in them, all of his hope for them, and they would have also connected it with their own repeated disobedience and rebellion, which ends up becoming for them an image of exile. So the image of a vine had become a painful one for them. But look what Jesus does here. 
Jesus speaks to them this good news. And he speaks this over them, giving them this new sense of identity as his people because of what he has done and what he is about to do for them as this story continues to unfold. Jesus says to them, I am the true vine. They had been told over and over again, you are the vine, you are the vine, you are the vine. And every time it yielded only bad fruit. But Jesus now says, this is the good news. I am the true vine. And in every place that you have failed throughout your history, I will succeed. And in every place that you have been faithless, I will be faithful. And I will accomplish for you what you could never accomplish on your own. This is the hope of the gospel. You are all such bright students. You would not be at a university like this if you weren't. There's so much promise. There's so much potential in you. And you get told that over and over again. But there's something within you that nags away at you that makes you wonder if you are actually good enough. There's an anxiety that just hums this constant kind of anxiety in your life. Am I good enough at this? Am I going to get the grade? Am I going to get the internship? Am I going to get the job? And you begin to think about all of the times in which you have failed in your life, in which you're not good enough. And those voices are speaking into your heart. But there's a voice that's louder than that. There's a voice that overpowers that. And it's the voice of the true vine. And it speaks to you the truth. And it says this, in every place where you have failed, I will be faithful for you. It's not about what you can accomplish. It doesn't hang on that. It's about what has already been accomplished for you. And he's speaking that hope over every single one of you today. I am the true vine, he says. He goes on and he couples that with this other beautiful image. He says, my father is the gardener. I'm the true vine and my father is the gardener. This is the gardener that's described in Isaiah chapter 5 that, that, that builds this vineyard that, that digs up the rocks, clears out the stones, plants the most choice of vines. This gardener who has been at it since the beginning. He is the one that has poured his heart into this. And again, we see now in this moment in what Jesus is saying that he is at it again. This is the gardener who will not give up. And this time he is attaching us to the life of the true vine so that he can accomplish in us what we could never accomplish for ourselves. In every place where we failed, Jesus has been faithful. And this is what the gardener is doing in us, attaching us to that life of the true vine. And that's where the abundant life comes from. I love this image of the gardener. Like the image of the vine, the image of the gardener is rich in this historical uh, uh, memory for them as a people and also in this scriptural imagination. This is the kind of image that you can just swim around in for a long time. It's so full of power and meaning. It's an image that actually spans our understanding of God, it spans the entire scripture narrative. 
of our understanding of who God is. We remember the very beginning in Eden where he plants us in the garden. He is the gardener who creates that and plants us in the garden to care for it, to tend it, and to tend each other and care for each other. He's also the one who promises them this land, the promised land that is gonna be a place that's marked by a fruitful kind of abundance, this land that he is leading them into and giving them to. The resurrection moment, we see it there, right? When Jesus is resurrected from the dead and that moment on Easter Sunday morning on resurrection day, when Mary Magdalene, the very first person to witness Jesus resurrected from the dead, and she will go on to be the first person to preach the good news that Jesus was dead and now is very much alive. And she will preach that good news gospel to to an audience made up of none other than the founding apostles of the church, which is powerful. We can talk about that part later if you want. All right. It's beautiful. But what is it that, that happens to her in her understanding when she first sees Jesus? She mistakes him for someone else. She doesn't recognize him at first. And she mistakes him for who? The gardener thinking he's the gardener. Man, she was so close, right? And so much of that was so right. It's powerful. And then we get the image, the completion of this in Revelation of this city, the city of God, and yet within it and around it, this flourishing garden alive again. He is the gardener. And we see this image of him all the way throughout scripture. And it tells us if we see him as that on the first page, and we see him as that on the last page, then it's speaking to us this truth that this is the gardener who will not give up on us. He will not give up on us. He's invested so much into it. He's poured his heart and soul into planting this garden, but he will not abandon it when it bears only bad fruit. No, he will not do that. Instead, he has planted his own son among us to bring our wild and rebellious and tangled and dead branches into alignment with him. He's cutting back and he's pruning, bringing us into an abiding life with him, drawing life from him so that we can bear the kind of fruit in our lives, lasting fruit, ongoing fruit, fruit that is consistent with the character of the vine himself. This is what the gardener is up to. He will not give up on us. This gardener has seen the root of human sin. He was there in the garden of Eden when humanity was tempted and failed. He was also there in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus is in this moment of heartbreak, the weight of what is about to happen weighing down on him. And in that moment, Jesus did not fail, but instead he prevailed on our behalf. He was there in the garden on Good Friday when they laid Jesus into this tomb in the garden, a borrowed tomb, by the way, because he wasn't going to need it for very long. And he was there in the garden on Easter Sunday morning when Jesus walks out in victory. And this gardener, the father, the gardener is at it again. He's established the true vine. His branches will bear fruit 
in this world, in a world that is hungry to taste what the real fruit of the Spirit is like in our lives. They're hungry for it. They're begging us to live it out. Over the course of this week, this is where we're going to be together. We're going to stay right here in this passage. We're going to learn what it means to be attached to the vine, to draw life from the vine, to be his branches. We're going to learn what it means that this is the gardener who cultivates, who prunes. That's going to be a fun one, all right? The pruning process. And we're going to learn what it means to abide in him. This one who is going to bear good fruit in us, fruit that will last. One final thing about this imagery of a vine. One of the most powerful things about this imagery is that it's an image of permanence. Okay? A a person who plants a vineyard is making a statement that they are in this for the long haul. All right. Uh, People who uh, know about these kinds of things. Any wine connoisseurs in the house? Just kidding. All right. (laughs) Totally kidding. All right. (laughs) Greg's going to have to find another speaker for tonight. Okay. Almost got you on that one. Uh, So people who understand this culture, all right, and know how that worked will say to you, Uh, that in order to to actually have a harvest of the quality of fruit that's needed to make wine, it's a long-term investment. And so for at least the first three seasons of harvest in a vineyard, that fruit is not going to be quality enough to make wine from it. So that's three years of planting, of cultivating, of pruning, of nurturing, of harvesting, And the fruit's not ready yet. The fruit's not ready yet. This is an image of permanence. This is an image of longevity. This is an image that says this gardener is in this for the long haul. We see it across all of the pages of scripture from the first one to the last. He's not giving up on you. He is not looking for flash fruit out of your life. He's not looking for fast and quick growth out of your life. A lot of times we'll come into a week like this, and that's what we expect. That's what we're looking for. I'm not praying against that to happen in your life. But what I feel the Spirit leading us into and where we need to be focusing is what does it look like for the gardener to plant seeds and to cultivate the kind of growth that is for the long haul? It's a gardener who will not give up on us. And this was a beautiful image for him to give to his people in the Old Testament because they were going to be in slavery. They were going to be in exile. They were going to be nomads. And in the midst of that, a group of people who had that as their memory, who had slavery as their memory, and would have exile in the future. It's a beautiful image to say, no, no, no. Here's the thing. I am making you a rooted people. I am in this for the long haul. I am not giving up on you. I am not quitting on you. I am here to stay. He is rooting himself in us and rooting us in him. And what we're praying for in this week, seeds to be planted, 
seeds that have already been planted that are going to be cultivated to new levels of growth. And for him to begin to draw out in you and nurture in you this long life of abiding and bearing fruit in season after season. That's our hope. We're going to close in prayer. I'm going to ask uh, Dr. Shell to come back up and play that last hymn, and that'll be uh, how we're closing, but I'm going to pray over us. Jesus, thank you that you are the true vine. Thank you that you have given us this image that is so full of hope, that speaks to us that in every place where we have failed, you are faithful. That speaks to us this future, that there is a gardener who is doing his work and he will not quit on us. That you are rooting in us and preparing in us fruit that will last for season after season, and new fruit in each season of our lives. I pray that you would root us in you as you root yourself in us. Help us to bear fruit for a hungry world to taste. See you in your name we pray. Amen.